Chapter Twelve of the Life of Kit Carson by Edward S. Ellis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. This act of chivalry on the part of Carson simply transferred the peril of his friend to himself, for the Indian whom he had selected for his target was carefully sighting at him at the very moment the gun was discharged. Kit saw what was coming and bounded to one side in the hope of dodging the bullet. Quick as he was, however, he did not entirely succeed, though the act doubtless saved his life. The ball from the rifle of his adversary grazed his neck and buried itself in his shoulder, shattering the head of one of the bones. Carson, though badly hurt, did not fall or retreat. On the contrary, he tried desperately to reload his gun, but found it impossible to raise his arm. He was ordered to combat beyond all question and bleeding so fast that his weakness compelled him to lie down on the ground while the conflict went on about him. The fight was very hot for a time, the result being what may be called a drawn battle, with the advantage inclining to the side of the Indians. The trappers fell back to the safest place that presented itself and went into camp. They dared not start a fire, for they knew it would bring an attack from the Indians, but, wrapping their saddle-blankets around them, they bore the intense cold as best they could. The sufferings of Carson were great. His wounds continued bleeding and froze upon the dressings, which were of the most primitive character. And yet not once through those hours of anguish did he utter a word of complaint. Many a strong man would have cried out in his agony, but one might have sat within arm's length of the mountaineer without knowing he was hurt at all. More than that, Carson took his part in the council which was held in the cold and darkness. The conclusion reached was that the party of trappers were not strong enough to pursue the Blackfeet, and the proper course to pursue was to rejoin the main body and report what had been done. It would then be time enough to decide upon their future action. When this program was carried out, a larger party of hunters under the lead of an experienced mountaineer resumed the pursuit but nothing could be found of the savages. They had utilized the grace allowed them so well that it was impossible to overtake or trace them, and the indignant trappers were obliged to submit to their loss. The severe cold moderated, and as spring was close at hand, the hunters pushed their trapping operations along the Green and Snake Rivers, meeting with unbounded success. They gathered more peltries than they had dared to hope for, and when warm weather approached, went into quarters where they remained until the following fall, a party of traders having brought them all the supplies they needed. The rugged constitution of Carson and his temperate habits caused him speedily to recover from his severe wound. He again became the active, vigilant, keen-witted guide and hunter who was looked up to by all as the most consummate master of woodcraft that had ever been known in the West. Such a large party as were gathered at the summer rendezvous was certain to include many varieties of people, the frank, brave and open-hearted, the sly and treacherous, the considerate and courteous, the quarrelsome and overbearing. Indeed, the temperaments of the individuals composing the company were as varied as it is possible to imagine. Among them was a powerful Frenchman known as Captain Shunan. He had won his title by hard fighting, possessed a magnificent physique, was brave and skilled in the use of arms, and was the most quarrelsome individual in camp. 
it is impossible to picture a more irascible and disagreeable personage than Captain Shunan, who appeared to spend all his time in trying to provoke quarrels with those around him. Sometimes he succeeded, but more often his insolence was submitted to by men as brave as he, but who wished to avoid trouble with him. The activity and strength of the Frenchman were so great that a skilful pugilist would have found difficulty in handling him. The only ground upon which he could be met with anything like fairness was where firearms were used. On one of these occasions, the bully became unbearable in his behavior. He knocked down several weak and inoffensive persons, and swaggered back and forth through camp, boasting that he could trounce any one there. In the midst of his bluster, Carson walked up in front of him and said in a voice loud enough to be heard by those around, Captain Shunan, there are plenty here who can easily chastise you, but they prefer to submit to your impudence for the sake of peace. However, we have had enough, and now I notify you to stop at once, or I shall kill you. These were astounding words, and as may be supposed, when uttered by a man six inches shorter and many pounds lighter than the blustering captain, they fairly took away his breath. Carson spoke in his quiet, soft voice, as though there was not the least cause for excitement. But those who knew him noted the flash of his clear gray eye and understood his deadly earnestness. Captain Shunan was infuriated by the words of Carson. As soon as he could recover himself, he turned about and, without speaking a word, walked to his quarters. Kit did not need to be told what that meant. He did the same, walking to his own lodge, from which he speedily emerged holding a single-barrel pistol. He was so anxious to be on the ground in time that he caught up the first weapon that presented itself. Almost at the same moment, Captain Shunan appeared with his rifle. Carson observed him, and though he could have secured, without difficulty, a similar weapon, he did not do so. He was willing to give his burly antagonist the advantage, if it should prove such. The other trappers, as may be supposed, watched the actions of the two men with breathless interest. The quarrel had taken such a course that they were convinced that one or the other of the combatants would be killed. Captain Shunan had been so loud in his boasts that he did not dare swallow the insult put on him by the fragile Kit Carson. Had he done so, he would have been hooted out of camp and probably lynched. As for Kit, his courage was beyond suspicion. He feared no man and was sure to acquit himself creditably no matter in what circumstances he was placed. He was the most popular member of the large company, while his antagonist was the most detested. But the love of fair play was such that no one would interfere, no matter how great the need for doing so. The duelist, as they may be called, mounted each his horse, and circling about the plain, speedily headed toward each other, and dashed forward on a dead run. As they approached, they reined up and halted face to face within arm's length. Looking his antagonist straight in the eye, Carson demanded, Are you looking for me? Have you any business with me? No, growled the savage Frenchman. But while the words were in his mouth, brought his rifle to his shoulder, and pointing it at the breast of Carson, pulled the trigger. But Kit expected some such treacherous act, and before the gun could be fired, he threw up his pistol and discharged it, as may be said, 
across the barrel of the leveled weapon. The ball broke the forearm of Captain Shunan at the very moment he discharged his gun. The shock diverted the aim so that the bullet grazed his scalp, inflicting a trifling wound. But the combatants were so close that the powder of the rifle scorched the face of the mountaineer. Captain Shunan had been badly worsted, and was disabled for weeks afterwards. He accepted his fate without complaint, and was effectually cured of his overbearing manner toward his associates. End of chapter 12